What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America podcast. I'm J.J. Cooper, joined today by Ben Badlin, and we're going to talk prospects. We're going to talk special. We're going to talk international prospects. Ben is... Uh, Emerging from the uh, the in, we call we used to call the draft bunker for around draft time. Ben was has been in the uh, the international bunker for the past uh, month, month and a half. Yeah, really. Uh, you know, we finish our handbook in the end of December, and then from from there we can uh, you know January February on the baseball calendar. I know Aaron Fit on the college side is always. Uh, gearing up for the college season, but, uh, you know, on the pro side, uh, you know, January, February is kind of like a slower kind of period for us, so it's it's a good time to, you know, take a deep breath and then also look back on uh, the year that was in, in international scouting. Right. If you haven't seen it on the site, which if you haven't, it, it's been a lot of stories, so, you, you know, go to the site more often. There's a lot of great stuff there, but if you haven't seen it, Ben has just finished up, I, I think, Yesterday was the the finale of AL West of posting internet reviews of every team's international signings for the past year, and we don't mean here's the top guy they have. We're talking for subscribers. You can read here is pretty much every significant money signing that they've had in the past year, and in some cases here's some interesting guys who even didn't get a whole lot of money. Yeah, if a guy signed for $100,000 or more, uh, we have a scouting report on them. We also have scouting reports on guys who, uh, you know, money, uh, you know, we use that, just that six-figure mark is sort of a, you know, you have to draw the line somewhere. We're not going to, you know, these guys who signed for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 are usually more organizational types, but obviously at the same sure, time... If you're doing the Dodgers review, though, you got to mention some of those guys because otherwise you would have no one to write about. Right. In the Dodgers' case, those are those are their top signings. But then you see guys like, um, you know, Teoscar Hernandez with the Astros who signed for, I think it was like $20,000, and some of these other guys who signed for uh, not much money, but for various reasons, the best players in the international market don't always get the most money. Um, you know, it's, and it's it's hard to judge talent when they're that young and in that scattered of, of an environment a lot of times. If a guy is not, you know, doesn't have high-profile representation or he's up from, you know, the country in the Dominican Republic where uh, maybe some teams don't scout as heavily or, or he's in uh, Colombia or Panama where it's not as saturated with scouts as, as the Dominican Republic is, you know, you can find guys who have... Uh, Talent that would be normally commensurate with a you know seven eight hundred thousand dollar bonus, but you sign them for fifty grand because nobody else uh, knows about them. But you know the teams they know <laughs> once you have them and you have them in your your system and you have them in your Dominican uh, winter program, you get to know these guys pretty well. The teams generally know uh, at least of their own guys <laughs> who the uh, you know in the scouting parlance who the guys are. <laughs> To watch, and sometimes it's the guys who they already know sign for forty or fifty grand. One of the ways that I've explained this before is is that imagine if in the U.S. instead of the draft happening and we drafted high school seniors and college juniors, which essentially is what we do now, 
imagine if it, to me, I, I know this is not the age equivalency, but to me it's almost like saying, instead, okay, no, you're going to draft 8th graders and ninth graders. Because or the amount just, of information you have on a lot of these cases, these 16-year-olds or sometimes, you know, 17-year-olds or sometimes questionable age-year-olds, sure. um, when you talk about the the background, for one, you, you don't have the background uh, information in a lot of cases like you do in the U.S. For two, you talk about it's not just a 16-year-old, but in many cases, in a lot of cases, a 16-year-old who, when you get them into your complex, you don't hear of a lot of U.S. guys where you don't get skeptical and you hear, oh, this guy's gained 30 pounds over the last year. You know, he just started eating. Well, but in the in the Dominican and in some of these, you know, some of these Latin American countries, once you get dental work for some guys, I mean, that can be a, a significant thing. And not there's a lot of there's a lot of reasons that there's more uncertainty. Even take away the fact that you're signing these guys in a lot of cases two years younger, they're also there's more chance, more cases of a guy, more chances for a guy to kind of make a big leap forward than it is for, say, a U.S. guy. Would you agree with that? Or yeah, you look at guy, somebody like Carlos Tochi, who the Phillies signed last year. He was a, I don't want to say divisive prospect. But one of the most fascinating things about him is that he his instincts are extremely advanced for his age. He's a 70 runner. He's he has a, a very good approach at the plate. You know, some scouts like to swing. Other guys say, you know, maybe it gets a little loopy and it's a little slow. Well, maybe his bat's a little slow because he's like 6'2", 150 when he signed. <laughs> I mean, there's other guys like that who are 6'3", 160. I mean, I'm... Like the friends like, there, he's yeah. going to be big eventually. He's going to... But it's just... If you're that long and lanky at that point, it, it could cause some problems. Right, and you, then you see these guys who you know, put on this big show in, in BP and they, you know, they, you know, they drop their hands and then they just swing for the fences with this kind of an uphill stroke and they hit balls out of the park and they got great bat speed and this huge power. I mean, the track record of those guys really is not good at all. <laughs> I mean, power typically is one of the things that develops later on in a guy's career. And then you see teams spending all this money on these big, goofballs who are knocking balls out of the park with great Willie, Willie Mopena is a great example of a guy going back a ways, but Willie Mopena, who had other tools too, mm -hmm. but Willie Mopena's raw power, had, ever since he signed, has been among, you know, it's been at the top of the, the line for anyone in, in pro ball, but he never, the problem was is that it's always been a, a, a raw power swing. Right, and it's, and it's one thing if uh, if everything was done cleanly, but the problem is that these guys who just yank the ball out of the park and are, uh, you know, Im impressive physically and impressive bat speed, well, one, they might not really be 16, <laughs> and two, they might be on steroids. I mean, those are two well, and that's, major that's issues another thing, in the market. That's, and we've seen that. We've seen that with the number of guys who sign and then it comes back later. Oh, you know, hey, tested positive for steroids. Or it never comes back. Or it never comes back, yeah. yeah. But, but that's something also that... It, it, the good way, I think one of the good ways to put it is, is that there's a lot more uncertainty in the Latin American market, amateur market. Is that a fair thing to say if you're comparing that to say the U.S. market? There's, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity for, if you're a good, if, there's a lot of opportunity for scouting in many ways because you are projecting so much further ahead. You're taking a 16 year old and you're projecting where he's going to be at 24, 25. 
Right. There's no. There's no stats. There's no. Uh, you know, media. That generally, there's no like media hype or anything like that. You're just going out there and you're looking at a kid. I mean, if you're an American cross checker coming down, you may have never heard of this guy before in your life. And you were you're just trying to evaluate <laughs> purely on a uh, from a baseball standpoint. Well, and let me ask you on that. Okay. If you're spending a couple million dollars on a guy, obviously you're gonna. I would assume you're seeing that guy multiple. You know, sure. Not just not just the Dominican scout, but your cross checkers, the the international scouting director, all those are seeing multiple looks at a guy. But when we're talking more of the hundred, two hundred thousand variety, are there guys like that? I mean, how often? How many looks? I, I know that they're you know every team has scouts in the Dominican. I hope that they're, most teams are getting a couple of looks at least for those guys, but. How many looks are the the higher up front office people getting on these guys before they you know say okay pull the trigger on for the like the hundred two hundred thousand dollar guys uh, it it probably probably varies those guys might see you know an international director might see them you know a couple of times before they sign them might not only need to see them once you know if you if you come in and you see a guy who is seventeen years old let's say and he's throwing. Uh, 95 miles an hour. You're, well, you're not wanting him yeah, to get out. You don't want him to get out of your complex. You don't want him to get away. So you say, all right, you may not offer him uh, 100% of what you think his value is, but you'll make him a good offer. To um, try to say, hey, let's... Right then. And there's somebody like, you know, this isn't the way that it went down with Carlos Matias or Martinez now with the Cardinals, but, uh, you know, if you were another team and you saw him after his uh, suspension from MLB... Uh, coming back and you saw him throwing, uh, you know, 98 miles an hour, 99 miles an hour, uh, you would, you don't need to see him too much right. more. You're, you're, you're pretty, pretty much pretty saying, okay, because you're not having to project guy. there. You're saying, right. you're saying that if this guy does this for basically just keeps doing this, we're good. And, and so that's a big difference. Yeah, that's a pretty dramatic difference from saying, Here's a 16-year-old who's throwing 85, but we think that five years from now he'll fill out and he could be, you know, mm-hmm. have a plus fastball. And and but that's also it's it's funny I mentioned the Dodgers earlier. Dodgers are one of those teams. There are a couple of teams, especially the Dodgers more than anyone, who also there's kind of the second wave signings you can do, which is the the 18, 19-year-olds who who are, are largely known commodities, aren't they? It's just They've been picked over. They haven't signed. They haven't signed. The Dodgers are one of those teams that they have to basically go out there and say, okay, can we find some gems out of that, is what they've tried to do. And even less last year, they just didn't sign anybody. But that's what they've been trying to do the last four or five years, right? Yeah, they just, I mean, ownership has been pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's it may change now yeah. since they've got a new ownership that's going to just bottom for $2 billion. So that yeah. may change. But So... Yeah, you know, in that case, you know, in, in their case, they, they have found Ruby De La Rosa, um, you know, Alfredo Silverio. <laughs> they, he's still They've done better than... He signed, like, almost 10 years ago. Yeah. It just shows how long some of these guys take to uh, matriculate up to the uh, up to the big leagues. But, you know, guys like De La Rosa or, or Carlos Santana, I mean, they signed Carlos Santana for... Um, well, you know, under under a hundred grand. So, and this is what's sad is that there was a time when the Dodgers were as good as anyone at, right. at scouting, you know, Latin America. It's a long, long time ago now. I mean, we're we're talking back in the Ramon and Pedro Martinez days and all, but it's it's been a while. 
So, so yeah, I mean, if, if you can... July 2nd is a big date on the international calendar. Obviously, I mean, you, know, you look at the guys who are in our top 100 right now. Julio Tehran, July 2nd. Jerickson Profar, July 2nd. Uh, Jesus Montero, Martin Perez. Uh, you know, these Miguel Sano, well, he had to wait a little bit longer for, um, you know, the investigation and his background. But, uh, you know, Gary Sanchez, these guys are all big July 2nd guys. Uh, but then you look at, uh, you know, you look around and, and elsewhere, you can find guys like, like Carlos Santana or some of the guys the Rockies have found, like Ubaldo Jimenez or Yolas Chassin or Michael Pineda, uh, Starlin Castro, these guys who weren't necessarily signed right on July 2nd, but you wait a little bit. Uh, you know, you <laughs> I was talking to a, a uh, an international scout director the other day, and we were talking about a guy who I think was like 19 or, or 18 or 20 years old who, who they signed. And uh, he's like, you know, he's a little older guy. And then he caught himself, and he's like, well, <laughs> he goes, look what I'm saying, an older guy. He's 18, 19, 20. I mean, um, you know, <laughs> you, you have to assume that, you know, I guess I shouldn't say you have to assume, but, you know, you take the age for what it is. Sometimes they're older, sometimes they're, uh, then they're real age, sometimes they're not, but. You, know, you wait a little until a little bit after July 2nd. Some of the hysteria dies down. Some of the, uh, you know, these inflated prices. These guys are asking for $3 million, and they ended up signing for $100,000 because they just way overpriced themselves. And they realize, the turn around, it's like, oh, I better yeah. get something. Yeah, and the, the guys who have them, the trainers or whoever has a percentage of them, realize, well, geez, all right, I got to get something. I got to get some money out of this. I'm losing money on this investment. So then they just signed it well, quickly. That that leads to the question. Uh, you've been talking to all these international scouting directors and all. The new rules. What do you think is going to change as far as when we see July second this year? How is it going to be different? I mean, is it just going to be that the dollar amounts are less, or is there going to be is it is there is there going to be more of an impact than that? Because obviously this year, if you're listening to this and you don't know, MLB has put in new rules as part of the CBA that essentially caps the amount of money that you can spend internationally on essentially non-major league ready talent. There's some limits for older Cuban defectors, Japanese, you know, Asian guys coming over. But if you haven't played at a high level of pro ball, so no one that we're talking about in the international amateur market, essentially besides Cuba on the Latin side, if you haven't done that, you are limited to, it's what, 2.9 million for your entire, your entire signing bonuses for the year. Well, the Rangers spent more than that on uh, Nomar Mazzara. They spent more than that on uh, yeah, Ronald Guzman. Yeah. So they've now basically, they're obviously bonuses are going to go down because in some way because there's just less money that you're allowed to spend. But beyond that, are there, do they ever, does people think there's going to be more impact than that? I think that, uh, you know, if you look at bonuses, Last year they rose in Latin America or internationally like 10, 12 percent or something like that. But I think it's pretty consistent with what the major league free agent market mm-hmm. uh, rises at as well. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if bonuses will necessarily, uh, on the whole, decrease or or if they'll still stay the same, which at least for MLB will serve its purpose of trying to restrict how much teams spend in this market and save teams uh, money. Because, you know, if you look at the bonus chart that we have online, 
Okay, yeah, the Rangers are going to have to reel in a little bit. <laughs> the 12.8 last year. Uh, yeah, the Blue Jays, the 7.5, Royals, Royals 6.8, Mariners 6.7. So those are the teams that are really at the top. There, there's like a few exceptions within the rules that say you can sign six players for $50,000 or less, and that won't count against right, your so cap. So it's like 2.9, but you can get up to like 3.2-ish. Well, if you do that, yeah, there's only nine teams that spent more than 3.2 less. Right, and if you look at the teams, uh, you know, starting with, like, the Indians or so, they were at 3.5, 3.6 or so. Yeah. So it's not know, gonna that's not going to have a huge effect to get back down. Uh, that really just means, okay, well, this guy's going to get 100000 less here, this guy's going to get 75000 less than he got last year here. That yeah, kind of that's not going to have a big It's really going to have a, an impact on these five or six teams that are trying to, uh, you know, spend aggressively at the very top of the market, like the Rangers, Blue Jays, uh, you know, the Cubs with what they do in, in Cuba, too. Uh, they, they do a lot there. They're very aggressive in the... Uh, Latin America and, and Asia and, and Europe too as well. But one one of the things that's interesting to me about this list is if you look at the top ten teams, you know the Red Sox are nine, the Tigers are ten, the Yankees are eleven. Right. When you think of teams that spend a lot of money, if you look at the teams above them, okay, the Rangers spend a lot of money at the big league. The, the Rangers spend money everywhere. I mean, they're they they spend a lot of money. The Blue Jays are kind of more of a, but they're they're really putting a lot of money into amateur the amateur side now. But they've not been a what you call a big market team, even though they're in the big market as far as what they spend at the big league level. The Royals are the ultimate small market team. The Mariners, the Pirates, the Indians, the Padres, the, a lot of the teams that were once spending money in, in in Latin America aren't the teams that you think of as okay. Well, they could just pull out their checkbook and outspend everybody. The Yankees haven't really done that for a while now. The Red Sox did a little bit of that, but they've kind of backed off some too, have they not? Yeah, I mean, I, if, if you see a premium player on the market like Jesus Montero or Gary Sanchez, I think you've seen the Yankees go after somebody like that. But, in, in you know, lately, <laughs> um, it, I don't know if there's been a player on, on, the, on the, you know, Miguel Sano stands out. Um, as a guy who's probably going to be end up being worth the money, uh, there's some other guys who are pretty interesting. But but, uh, but yeah, if you the list of the top bonuses of all time, that list there's a lot of guys on there that you kind of shake your head at. Yeah, and then also it's a lot of guys who were just signed pretty recently too. So yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, but if you go back, guys if you, they spent if you a look lot of, historically at it, the list of guys like the, the for a long time the record was Joel Guzman. I think we can at this point declare that that money spent on Joe Guzman ended up not working out too well. Um, uh, Jose Pet, uh, who you know got set, got an amazing amount of money for a pitcher coming out of a Brazil, if I remember right. Yeah, 20 years ago this year. Yeah, you know, and that didn't work out. There was a car accident and all involved there, but uh, but they're the you know obviously it's too early to declare it over for uh, for a Noah, but. Uh, I think if you ask the A's, the A's right now, hey, would you spend that money on a Noah like you did? What was that, four mil? Yeah, I think they'd rather have the four two five there. Yeah, that there are a lot of those guys that, at the top end, which is so tough about this because also it 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 changes. You know, there's so much again, there's so much projection involved, but also you throw on top of that, you're talking again about you're talking about giving a sixteen year old four million dollars. 
And that's, it's hard for that not to change anyone if you get that at 16. It's hard to get not to have that change if you get that at 18 or 21 either, but it, it even. It changed me. Right. But even, <laughs> yeah, at, at, you know, hey, I'm getting ready to be 40 and it changed me. But it, it is something where, you know, that's, there's so much uncertainty in this. And, and that seems like a mantra that you've said. Like, it's not like you, you instantly poo-poo anyone who gets, you know, $4 million on the international market. But you've followed this for a long time now. It, does it seem like that it's those, it's the second tier of guys who often end up being, oh, you know, is it, if you had, if you're all of a sudden running a team and you were given $5 million to spend on the international market, are you spending three of it on one of the top guys? And, you know, or, or are you more focused on spreading that around? Or are you aiming at the second tier? What do you think has been the most productive approach? Yeah, I think it probably just depends on the individual players each year. Uh, you know, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense just to sign a guy for $2 million or $3 million just because you have the budget and can afford it. I mean, <laughs> if a guy's not worth the price, it's not worth uh, paying for. Uh, but if there is somebody who you, you know, really believe in, like uh, a Ronald Guzman or somebody like Miguel Sano or a, a Chesler Cuthbert, um, then yeah, go ahead and pay pay the guy a million dollars, pay him two million dollars. That's that's fine. Uh, you know, I think that one of the reasons that there's it seems like there's more guys who are in that next level is just uh, who work out is because well, there's just more, more guys, guys in general <laughs> right. who get that. So it's kind of a Right, you're, there's, a, there's not there's not like those there are a long list of those guys who you know, end up being bust either. Yeah. It's just that it's there are a lot more of those guys, and it's probably a longer list of those guys who who haven't worked out, but they just don't have their their names in the headlines. Well, not necessarily. One thing I also want to ask with that is is that we've seen in like recent years uh, kind of a new development. We've got the Dominican Prospect League. We've had we have a couple of those leagues now. We now have MLB announcing that they might you know that they're trying to do one as well. How much has that changed scouting down there now that you have essentially these showcase leagues where in many cases you do get to see guys in in a, a pretty consistent game action, not just workouts but actual game situations. Is that helped as far as you know for scouting down there, or has it really not made much of a difference? Do you think? Oh, it's it's definitely made a difference because you know in the Dominican Republic. It's not like you're, these these guys don't play for their high school teams, or their, you know, it's not like you can, you know, right now, uh, we can go 20 minutes from here, from our office, and watch the National High School Invitational, and watch, uh, what, how many of the best high school teams in the oh, country yeah. are there? 12, 12 of the best teams, and like um, yesterday, it was like on four different fields, you could watch a first round pick here, you could watch a couple of intriguing 2013s here, you could watch a... A guy who go, you know, second or third round over here. I mean, it was just, it was a smorgasbord. Yeah, and, and, or if you're, you know, if you, if you cover Florida, you know what, uh, you know, you can, you know, the schedule of games. Uh, you, yeah. you know who the players are. If you're a scout, there. you've got it all mapped out before the season. You change it, obviously, but you've got it mapped out pretty well before the season begins. Okay, I'm going to hit this, I'm going to hit this. In the summer, I'm going to go to this showcase and I'll see, you know, 20 guys from my area. So in the Dominican Republic, you know, historically, if, if, if you're a team and you want to see a player, you either go to that player's 
field and watch him play, or you type to the trainer or the agent and you invite the player to your academy and you can evaluate them there and you can, I shouldn't say whatever, but you can do almost whatever you want with the player in terms of just watch him take BP, have him do outfield drills, put him through, you can play games, you can put the player that you really want to see and have him take, you know, 20 straight at-bats against live pitching if you want. Uh, and you can have them, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things with this is that's interesting also is, is that, depending on what's going on, you've got your complex teams down there, and you can basically have them go out and play with them, right? Yeah, I mean, you can have them face pro pitching. You can yeah. have them face your DSL guys. You can have them face whoever's, you know, if you're trying them out in the, you know, in January or February, you might have guys down there who are... Uh, either big leaguers or other prospects from, uh, you know, from the U.S. who come down to work out in the Dominican Republic. Uh, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can use your time to uh, and, and coordinate yourself as a team to put these right, guys in different it, situations to but, evaluate. Them. But it's not something where you say, okay, well, I'm going to go see this guy because he's playing another good team on Tuesday over here. Right. And the other the other thing with that is that if if you have them in your academy. Well, that's all generally private information that you have for yourself as a team. Mm -hmm. Now, with these guys playing in the Dominican Prospect League or the International Prospect League, Dominican International League, or these, there's there's a bunch of other smaller leagues that have popped up in the Dominican Republic that are just organ trainers just pooling their their guys together and playing games. So now everybody knows that. That's public information. Yeah, that's all public information. Everyone knows that they can go there. Everyone can see these guys like Ronald Guzman or Elia Hernandez or any of these other guys who play in these leagues. And if they do well, great. And some of these guys can help their stock. And you can also get exposed there. Yeah, and then other guys can, can get exposed too. So it's it's all anything that's that promotes transparency in anything international uh, scouting is a good thing in my view, but not a good thing in in some people's view. Well, but that's interesting. Also, though, you you had a story up yesterday up on the site that uh, a free story. Anyone you know listening to this can can read it about Nomar Mazzara, who made who signed for a, a record amount with the Rangers, and really, I, I mean, there went went beyond this. But there are scouts from other teams who are much more skeptical about him. The Rangers are really excited about his power potential. And all. But one of the things it comes down to is, whereas Guzman Hernandez really kind of established themselves as the top prospects, position prospects in last year's class, partly by what they did in these leagues, it, with Mazzara's case, he was, it, it would almost seem like he was, he was showcased in a way to let his raw power come out, but when game time came around, I mean, he was not playing the Dominican prospect or any of these leagues, and it was something where not a whole lot of guy people saw him in game action, right? Yeah, and it's it's not you don't have to play in no, the I mean, that's, leagues. It's, I mean, it's not like, a rule. Yeah, you know, guys yeah, like yeah, I should say yeah. Right. MLB may change that eventually. Right. I think there's some suspicion on the part of a lot of people that well, why is MLB putting in this new league when you know the market's sort of taking care of it for themselves? I think some people think. Okay, this new league is going to be something where you have to play in it, or you're not going to be allowed to be signed or eventually drafted once MLB puts in their, you know, desire for an international draft. 
So whether they state that, you know, explicitly or not, I mean, the, Bud Selig has already said we want an international draft. So it's inevitable. That's can, the next thing I want to ask you. Yeah, is, they can what do you think is going to happen with that? I mean, like you hear, on one hand, you hear, you'll hear people very much against international draft say, look what happened in Puerto Rico. You're going to kill baseball in the Dominican and Venezuela and all that. On the other hand, you have, you know, uh, that's one extreme. On one other extreme, you have Bud Sivanov saying, hey, we need an international draft. Keep these bonuses in control. Competitive balance reasons, all that. Obviously, it's probably not going to be on exactly on either of the extremes, but what do you think happens with an international draft? I think within three to four years, we're going to have an international draft. If you look at the language in the CBA and all the direction that MLB is moving with, a lot of their, uh, you know, the, the personnel that they've added recently, and a lot of the language that they've used, and a lot of the decisions that they've made, really all points toward international draft. It's not going to happen this year, obviously. Uh, it may happen in 2013. Uh, I think that's probably too fast for it to happen, but I think 2014 is a realistic date uh, for an international draft. MLB definitely wants, uh, not everybody within uh, the, the commissioner's office necessarily wants a draft, but <laughs> that's the direction that the, the commissioner's office wants to go, and that the commissioner wants to go. And how it works in many organizations. If the boss wants something, eventually it usually happens. Yeah, and no boss is, <laughs> there are a few bosses more powerful than, than Bud Selig and uh, Major so, League Baseball. How... Uh, and one of the obvious questions with that has been, is it even possible logistically to successfully pull this off? I think yes. And I know there's a lot of people who disagree with that. I don't think it would be easy to pull off. I think there would be a lot of issues and bumps along the way. But I think that the whole re they're putting in this very sophisticated registration system Um I don't know if sophisticated is the right word. Some people detailed. May, yeah, some people may say convoluted even, but um, there, there's going to be some issues with that. But basically, they're going to say what I think they're going to say is that you have to be you have to first register with MLB, you know, X number of days or weeks or months uh, out before the draft. And if you're not registered, you can't be draft. You cannot be drafted by a team or sign or sign. As, as a free agent, because all, all, all the trainers and all the guys down there are always looking for ways around the rules, and there's already so many ways around the new CBA rules that I'll probably get to at some point before July 2nd that's going to make these spending limits look sort of silly that you can get around. I mean, you could, it's not even a loophole. It's like a giant chasm. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Grand Canyon, basically. So you don't, yeah. So that that part is they're gonna is not gonna exactly clamp everything down in 2012. Right. I, I don't think that uh, it's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna have a lot of unintended consequences in terms of teams are gonna still spend a lot of money, but it's not always gonna get to the players' pockets. But for the draft, they're just gonna say, look, if you're not registered, then you can't sign. Which which one thing, you, I, I'm, some of our listeners may not know this, that even when you talk about um, the uh, the draft, you can't be drafted and you can't sign if you 
are not turned in in you know in some way, shape, or form. Like you have to have been eligible for a draft, and like you can't be drafted. You can't just find a guy a day before the draft and draft him. You have to have turned him in. That's why when you hear if you're listening to the draft, they say draft you know ID number uh, you know four seven two two six. Eight three four right. nine two four six. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what's going to be the case here too. Is going to be a situation where you can't be sad signed, you can't be drafted. One of the things that's going to happen with that, that that I do think is kind of maybe it's an intended consequence, but it's definitely if not a, a law of unintended consequences. I do think that if you're in the Dominican, if you're in Venezuela, okay, there's this. You know your year's coming up and all that. You're eligible. You register. You can get drafted. You can get signed. A little different if you're a Cuban. Unless things change. I do think that's one. Already we're seeing it. If you're going to be a, not, not your 26-year-old or anything, but if you're a 20-year-old Cuban who defects, and say you defect in, let's say the draft is set for, they're going to do it in July. You know, let's just say for hypotheticals. Whatever they are, say you defect a week after that draft. You're essentially stuck in hiatus for, unless they have multiple drafts during the year, you're stuck in hiatus for a full year. We've seen that with uh, 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 Onelli Garcia Speck, which was supposed to be eligible for last year's draft and ended up not being. And now, essentially, he's frozen in time for a year, is he not? Yeah, I mean, typically the Cuban guys, the way it's supposed to work is that they, uh, you know, they'll show up, in Dominican Republic or Mexico or wherever, and they have to get residency paperwork, and they have to get a whole a whole bunch of papers taken care of, and that process typically takes about a year. Uh, for whatever reason, Yoan uh, Cespedes and Gerardo Concepcion seem to have uh, breezed through that process. So I I can't explain why, but they seem to have gotten a, their Paperwork done very quickly, uh, in a very expedited manner. So, but typically it takes about a year for these guys to get cleared anyway, because and then unblocked by the U.S. Treasury and the Office of uh, well, Foreign yeah. Assets so Control. So, if, like in your example now, he could be two years. Right. If he if he defects, you know, a week after the draft and his paperwork doesn't clear until you know a year later, well now he's going to wait. Two years. So, so yeah, I mean, for the Cuban and, guys, it's going to throw... And you're talking two years, when you're talking about a 19-year-old or whatever, that's the difference. A lot of these Cuban players already, the knock on them is, is that if you're not that elite, elite, if you're a guy who's going to need time in the minors, well, if a guy's 20, it's like, okay, well, this guy's really ready for high A now, or he's ready for low A. He's behind. We're going to have to speed him up to catch him up. Those two years may be the difference between you being a big leaguer or not. Because development time is something, I, yes, you can participate in all the workouts and all you want, but it's not the same as actual game action. And that's, to me, that's always been, again, unless the situation changes going forward, at some point there's a lot of thought that Cuban, you know, like the embargoes and all will be, you know, will disappear. And at that point, then Cuban baseball can be treated somewhat different, but similar to other, you know, Maybe you treat it like Japan. Maybe you treat it like, you know, Latin, other Latin American countries. But at that point, maybe it's a little different. But for now, that seems to me to be one of the big losers among this is that, as you said, it's already a long process. It could get longer. And 
a year and a half or two years of development time, if you lose that, you're not getting that back. Yeah, that would be, uh, you know, there's... <laughs> I'll put it this way. If you're a 16-year-old in Latin America and you're and all of a sudden you're not eligible to sign until you're 18, that's probably going to cut your bonus, what, by two-thirds? Most of the time? It could, but then you look at guys like uh, <laughs> like uh, Carlos Martinez who, you know, got suspended and, and developed and got more money. Right. Or Simone Mercedes with the the Red Sox, who, you know, <laughs> a, a year later after his suspension got uh, pretty much doubled his bonus to eight hundred thousand dollars. I guess so on the flip side, uh, the guy I think it was like Salcedo, who what did Salcedo end up signing for? It was, it was like one point six million or so, something like that. So if he had signed at sixteen, you think it'd been more than that, or you think it'd been? Yeah, it it, it probably uh, would have been more than that. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that much of Salcedo uh, is a, a prospect, so it's kind of a... Right, but I think of him as a guy who, he was supposed to be the, you know, the top guy in the July 2 class that year, and then he was, you know, and just kept going on and on and on, and he turned around and was like, okay, he just still got a million, so it's not like, no one should have to worry about Edward Salcedo's financial status or anything like that, but I, I felt like he was a guy who definitely lost money because he was not, it ended up not being the case that he's, you know, the top guy who got to sign at July 2. Um, with coming up on July 2, at this point, are how much of, it's not draft force, but as far as scouting and ranking guys, how much of that for this year's July 2nd class is already pretty well known, or how much of that is still very fluid? Is it similar to the draft year, or is it more fluid than, say, like the draft class year? Uh, it's probably it's probably similar to the draft. The, the thing is that in in the international market, there's no there's no draft, so you can't, uh, or I should say, you can you can work out these deals before July second. It's not allowed, but it happens. But it definitely you have, you have a pretty. Good, I'll put it this way: when you're talking to different you know scouting directors and all. There's a pretty good sense in a lot of cases. I, I know from past years, it's like you you can predict before. I know you, you do it in your July 2 preview. It's like expected this guy's going to go here. This guy's expected to go there. Doesn't always happen that way. But right. In a lot of cases, it does, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, I was looking at back at our July 2nd stuff from last year at the top. Uh, you know, the guys we had for projected for the top 25 bonuses, uh, I think, you know, 24 of them have signed, and we got the team right on uh, 18 of the 24. So either I should be buying one of these uh, Mega Millions yeah, tickets. Yeah, I think it's actually yeah. These deals are you know. Yeah, or you know, t- you know, sometimes it's not always that the team has a deal done before July. Sometimes there just is interest, and then it you know. And then also like there teams is know who's interested. Teams know who's on a guy. Right. A lot of times, so. Um, I mean, because yeah, part of this also is like, obviously in the draft there are not really that many pre-draft deals. Not the same that never happened, but. With the draft being the case that you can't really, uh, yes, you may be picking at pick 25, and you can work out some pre-draft deal if you want, but if a team picking number 22 takes them, it doesn't matter. So there's not that many draft, but we can still have a pretty good sense of which teams are on which guys. So it's not entirely because all these deals are worked out, but but it is something where there are deals that are worked out, and the money is pretty well known before before July 2 rolls around, whether it's, you know, uh, allowed or not. Yeah, and, and for the top guys, you know, teams have been scouting them since they were, you know, usually 14 or 15. 
you know, in some cases even younger than that when they were 12 or, or 13. Um, so, you know, I think that's one reason why the signing aid should be moved up uh, personally. But, um, yeah, teams, teams generally have a sense of who the top guys are going to be, who they want to go after, what they're worth. You know, they're still going to put them through, uh, you know, workouts and, and continue to evaluate them as July 2nd gets closer. But they pretty they pretty much have a, a good idea of who's uh, who's standing out. And, and again, these guys are so young that, you know, usually when we write about, you know, a college guy and we write about his his speed, it's like, all right, well, is he going to slow down? Right. You know, can he maintain his speed with someone who's 15 or 16? It's can he get faster? Like, I mean, they're right. so young and physically underdeveloped that they add muscle and all of a sudden they start running faster. Uh, you know, they gain bat speed, just basic things. Weight training, there's all, you know, they're going to they're gonna get into a weight program, which in many cases they haven't been in before. I mean, there's, you know, it's all kind of things that you're, you're also, you're talking about a 16-year-old. There are guys who sign and they're, you know, we talk about guys adding weight. There's also guys who sign and then they end up being three, four inches taller than they were when they signed. Exactly, yeah, and that can... <laughs> Be good or bad. In Juan yeah. Duran's case for the Reds, he was a big money guy. You know, I think it may have been bad for him that he was a six four guy when he signs. He ends up being six three guy, and he ends up being six seven. Well, they're different players. Six eight. You know, they say he made. You know, he's he's around that six seven six eight line. Well, not a whole lot of six eight outfielders in Major League history because he's got a strike zone about the size of you know Nebraska. Right. He. <laughs> yeah, I know it's good for a good for a power forward. Yeah, but that's so good for. But one thing before we wrapped up, I also did want to ask you was um, next week you have one of the things I look forward to uh, every year, which is the uh, the VSL DSL top prospects list. And I know you've already been working on those somewhat. And all how, how are the crops? How are the uh, DSL and VSL crops from last year? It's uh, you know I don't think there's like a dynamite player quite like uh, you know like Carlos Martinez and. Xander Bogarts and Ravel Santana uh, last, you know, we had a, a lot of interesting guys in there last year. There's there's still some uh, uh, some good players who are going to be in there uh, who, you know, Baseball America readers, you know, who followed our international coverage and have seen what these guys have done. The DSL could probably figure out somebody like, you know, Vic Mal de la Cruz or Heimer Candelario who were high-profile guys for July 2nd in 2010 went out and hit really well in the DSL last year. So, uh, you know, we put a lot of emphasis, I didn't say emphasis, but, all, you know, a lot of our coverage for the international stuff really centers around July 2nd because it's, you know, the first date, but it's not not like the draft where it's also the last date. Right. No, And, and that's one advantage of that system, too, is that if you've got a guy who's saying, here, right, right, right now, we have, we've had a number of high school prospects for this year's draft class who are hurt. Lucas Giolito, it really comes down to, is he going to be healthy enough to show his stuff before draft day? Well, if a guy, you know, if you if similar situation and he's not healthy enough to show by July 2nd, no big deal. If he's back to full speed by mid-July, okay, you just sign a little later and, you know, no real problem. I mean, you've got a long window to sign. Yeah, and for... <laughs> Um, you know, for, for for guys who are that young too, it's it's almost like you, you know we were talking earlier about the, you know if if you had to 
if you had to sign guys at the U.S. when they were, you know, in eighth, you know, you know, ninth, tenth grade when yeah. they were sophomores in high school, where would, you know, where would a guy like Steven Strasburg have been? Uh, you know, how oh, much yeah. money would that guy have gotten when he was 16? Or Tim Lincecum? Or Strasburg's a great. I mean, I, Strasburg would have probably been a thousand dollar guy. Oh yeah, he would have been a very low dollar sign, and everyone would say, you know. <laughs> It's not because he's, you know, unknown or, or unscouted or was, he was just wasn't he wasn't right. anywhere close to what he was. He was just a big, you know, you know, kind of softish guy in, in a couple of ways. Right. Um, and yeah, it, it, and that's the thing. That, well, that, that's one one of the things I always look forward to with the DSLVSL list is, is in addition to the high profile guys, is especially it's those guys who kind of pop up. And these are the guys who actually go out on the field and perform. Like, Torres was a guy on the list, if I remember right, last year. Yeah, Ronald Torres was, uh, was there last year. It's, uh. It's like, hey, he's five foot five, maybe, but, you know, at the same time, he flirted with hitting 400 in VSL, and everyone raved about him. Right. So, you know, those are, there, there's a lot of guys who also have, you know, they, they just get paid for, for their tools, and they're extremely raw. And sometimes, you know, Reimer Liriano, he's still in low A, he's still got a lot to prove, but I never really believed in that guy. Uh, but he always had huge tools, and he hit about a little under 200, I think, in the Dominican Summer League. Starling Marte was the, the same way. He really struggled in the Dominican Summer League his first year. Uh, but so sometimes those tools guys do put it together, and now Liriano and Starling Marte are two of our top 100 prospects, two of the better prospects in the game. But generally, if, if you go out and you don't hit, and if, if you're you know, 17 or 18 years old, you don't hit in the Dominican Summer League, I don't care how many tools you have, that's a glaring, <laughs> glaring red flag that you can't hit guys who are, you know, generally your own age. Pitchers is a little bit different because those guys are still, you know, growing in their bodies and, and their and stuff is going to change. Learning to throw strikes, there's a lot of it. The delivery, yeah, there's a lot that's different there, but, um, you know, if you're a hitter and you can't just put the bat to the baseball. Because for one, you're not seeing, you're not seeing the sliders, breaking balls that you're going to see no. in AAA or the big leagues. It's no. such on a consistent basis. You're going to see counts where you're in a hitter's count and okay, I'm going to get a fastball. You'll see some good velocity. You'll see some guys who can, uh, some guys you can put it over the plate, <laughs> but you're not seeing uh, you're not seeing the stuff that you're going to see at a much higher level. But if, if you can't hit guys your own age, that to me is a major red flag. So these guys who have tools and who go out and do perform, um, those those are the kind of guys like guys like Bogarts or Santana last year. Those are the guys to to keep an eye on uh, as uh, kind of sleepers for for the future. No, I've got some friends who are in insanely deep fantasy leagues, and they always look forward to that because it's like, hey, yeah, I drafted Xander Bogarts last year before anyone, you know, in my league even knew who he was. You get all those emails. I yeah, I'm sure emails. you do. But well, again, thanks, Ben, for a massive amount of all the international stuff that you do. If you're not if you're not following at Ben Badler on Twitter, there's more, you know, a ton of international stuff all through the year, but. And again, if you haven't, if you're a subscriber and you haven't read it yet, set aside some time because how, how many words do you think that ended up being? I think uh, it ended up being 28,000 words and about 194 scouting reports. Yeah, 194 right, so. scouting reports on guys who've yet to make it to the U.S. That's truly, I 
comfortable in saying that that is baseball news you can't find anywhere else. I mean, there's it's insane the amount of detail on there. No matter what team you're a fan of, you will read, you will learn something about players that you didn't know that much about, and you can kind of file it away of oh, you know, a couple of years later when they're doing something in in high A, and you go oh yeah, I remember reading about him back you know three four years ago. So. Uh, again, thanks for the download on uh, here, another edition of the Baseball America podcast. We will be back again next week. We, some kind of opening day thing, I know. Obviously, this year a little different. Opening day, minors and majors, uh, you know, all in harmony and all. It's, it's a little, we're used to that baseball, you know, major league opening day, and then we turn around and, and about, a, you know, several days later we have minor league opening day. I'm not counting. I know we've had two games in the books, but, you know, if you're playing, if you, I'm sorry, but if the game's going on at 5 in the morning, I'm not counting that as is really opening day. Yeah, it almost seems like MLB doesn't want people to think of it as opening day. No, it's kind of like, okay, that just goes on. and nothing Yeah, we'll, we'll make our money in Japan and <laughs> you know, but, we'll move on. But again, thanks for the download. Uh, feel free to give us a review on uh, on iTunes if you want. or And also remember to follow us on Twitter at Baseball America, at Ben Babbler. I'm at JJQ36. And also, like us on Facebook. Uh, we've got the Facebook timeline coming, so we'll have some cool features with that and the milestones over, over the years at Baseball America and all coming up. So check that out. And we will talk to you all again next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.